0: Well, good morning, everybody. So if you guys don't know it, today is Daylight Savings Time. I don't know if you're an hour late or an hour early, like if you're all confused, congratulations for making it here. Um, Yeah, my name's Brent. So I do, I work part-time for Alpine now. Um, I work down at the West Haven campus. So I lead the youth that are specifically at the West West Haven campus. And what I usually do is I'm there teaching the youth service right now. So we got a couple great volunteers that are there right now, which are wonderful. Um, But just a little bit more about me, Uh, my primary regular job Is I work at the YCC Family Crisis Center, uh, which is a domestic violence shelter that is in Ogden. And so my job there is primarily I am the Prevention specialist, which just means I get to go run around to all the different schools in Weaver County and Ogden, and I get to go into health classes in junior and high schools and talk to students about healthy relationships, uh, dating violence, safe dating, unhealthy relationships, things like that. So I love it because I get to speak in about 20 different schools, I hit about 6,000 kids a year, and it's, it's been super fun. And so that's what I normally do. Um, and so everywhere I go, I carry one of these. And so, what this is, it's my little slide thing, little clicker thing, and it's got my, like, little uh, USB things in here with my presentations on and stuff, and so I carry this with me everywhere I go, but I'm always losing it, which is hard for me. I'm always losing a lot of things, actually. I'm one of those type of person that puts their sunglasses on their head and looks for them all over the place, um, and so one day I pull up at the school, and I'm, I'm like grabbing my stuff, and I'm like, where is this? Where is this? And so I'm, like, looking in my car. I'm looking under the seats. I'm looking in the cup holders. I'm looking everywhere, and I don't necessarily need it because I could just get online at the teacher's desk and get my slides from Google Docs, and they most of the time have clickers themselves, but it's become a pride thing for me at this point, right? You never get to that point where you're looking for something, and you're like, I don't even need it, but I'm going to find it, you know, <laughs> and you're like, so I, it's getting to the point where it's, like, five minutes before the class starts. I'm like, all right, I guess it's gone, and so I go in there, and I'm like, hey, I can't find my thing. Can can I get on your computer? And he's like, yeah. He's like, what's that in your pocket? And I'm like, oh, this is what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah, never mind. I got it. And so I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point in your life where you're just like always losing stuff as you get older, maybe, you know, things like that. But I think that happens to us a lot. And so today we are actually, we're going to start a new series, a new forward series about one of the most famous stories that Jesus tells in the New Testament. Um, It's a parable about the lost or the prodigal son. And so, if you don't know what a parable is, if that's a big word for you, it's actually very simple. It is a simple story that kind of illustrates a moral or a spiritual lesson. Um, It's kind of like an a, a earthly story, but it has heavenly meaning. It's kind of what it is. And so Jesus used a lot of parables throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, and it was a great way for him to teach, you know, to engage his audience. But the cool thing about stories is, like, everybody loves stories, right? Everybody loves to hear stories rather than PowerPoints, you know, and all that kind of stuff. We all love a good story, and we can relate to stories, but Jesus used it to kind of bring this 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 like very spiritual meanings to very earthly things. He wanted to engage his audience, change their lives. He wanted to kind of bring divine understanding really through parables and make it memorable but do it in a very creative way. And so that's why it's super fun to preach about the parables that Jesus told because they're really great stories. And this big word, prodigal, I'll give you a really simple definition. A prodigal is spending money or resources freely and recklessly or even wastefully (laughs) extravagant. And you're going to see in this story that that's exactly what the prodigal son did. And so the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at each character in this story. Today is the prodigal son. Um, And then we'll talk about the brother. We'll talk, the older brother, we'll talk about the father. And all these people kind of represent different things. And you might see yourself in some of these different characters. Um, You know, you have God, the father, which is, you know, represents God. And then you have the older brother, which is kind of the rule keeper. But then you have the younger brother that's more of the rule breaker, actually. And so I don't know if you were to put yourself on a scale, which would you be? Would you be more of a rule keeper? Would you be more of a rule breaker? I would be like way over on this side, unfortunately. I'm very much of a rule breaker. Like I hate to announce that. Like I hate to like admit that, but I, I just am. Like it's just my personality for some reason. You know, if I'm driving out late at night in the middle of the night, chances are I'm not gonna stop that stop sign if there's nobody around, you know? If I'm like, you know, if I'm like late for something going somewhere, chances are I might speed a little bit. I might go over the speed limit, you know? And I'm always late, so I'm always speeding. But like, you know, things like that, like I, will, I refuse to pay the outrageous prices in movie theaters for stuff. So my jacket is usually full of popcorn and snacks and drinks, you know, as I'm walking in like this. You know, and if for some reason I don't bring something and I have to buy like, you know, a $5 soda or whatever, I've been known to do this before. Don't judge me, but I've been known to, like, stay for a second movie after my movie's over, you know? So things like that. And I know God needs to work on my life, I know. But that's, I'm just a rule breaker, unfortunately. And so the prodigal son, the lost son, is very much of a rule breaker. So we're going to see his story. So this is in Luke 15. If you've got a Bible, or Bible app, you can open up to that. But this is in Luke 15. So it says first... It says to illustrate the point further Jesus told them this story a man had two sons the younger son told his father i want to share i want my share of your estate now before you die so his father agreed to divide his wealth between the two sons and so in the beginning Jesus is in the beginning of this chapter, this is, this is kind of the third story that Jesus tells. So at the beginning of this chapter, before he gets to the prodigal son, the setting here is Jesus is eating with a bunch of what these religious leaders would call sinners, right? These bad people. But Jesus is hanging out with them, and he's eating with them. And these religious Pharisees and these scribes are kind of upset about it. Like, how can this holy man be eating with these sinners? And so Jesus knows their mind and knows their heart, and he turns to them, along with other people around, but really these judgmental, legalistic elites are kind of these religious people. He's kind of wanting to tell story, these stories too. And so he starts, here's this first story before this one. He starts and he tells the story about the lost sheep. So the lost sheep story goes like this. There's this shepherd has 100 sheep, but one gets lost. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to go and find that one. And when he finds it, he brings it back and everybody rejoices. But then he tells a second parable. And he says, there's a woman who has ten coins, but she loses one of them in her home. And she turns her home upside down, looking under all the couches and chairs, until she finally finds that one coin. And when she does, she calls her neighbors and they celebrate. And so those are the first two parables. And Jesus is saying, you know what? We should rejoice when even one person comes to know the love of God. That's his point of these first few stories. So now, with these religious leaders and other people watching him and listening to him, he goes into the third parable, and that's the story of the prodigal son. And so, here we see that the younger son asks for his inheritance, which he wasn't supposed to get until his father dies. And so, the thing about this is that if you knew this Jewish culture, for him to ask it while his father is still alive is incredibly rude. And it is very dishonoring to his father, He's basically saying, yeah, Dad, unfortunately, you're still alive, but since you are, can I get that money now? Like, I don't want to stick around and take care of you while you get old. I just want to get my inheritance, and I want to get out of here. I just don't, don't going to ever come back. And basically is what he's saying is like, you know what, I can't wait for you to die. I kind of wish you were dead now so I can get my money, but let me just get my money now. So you see how rude and dishonoring to his father this is. But this is what the son does. And so the father, this is a crazy thing. The father actually could have said no. He could have said no. You have to wait till I die. I'm not giving you a penny. That's not how it works. But instead, the father actually says Yes. Sure, I will give you that money now. We don't know his motivation. We don't know why. We don't know. We're gonna see what happens out of that, but that's what the father decided to do. Now think about this. If your kids came up to you and said, hey, I know it's, I, I know it sucks that you're still alive, but you know, can I get can I get my inheritance? Whatever money you're gonna give me when you die, can I get that now? you would probably look at them and be like, no. (laughs) I'm not going to give you any money before I die now. Like, I would have to, like, sell all of my, you know, sell a bunch of things and, like, get money out of my retirement. Like, I'm not going to give you all that money now. Get a job, you know? (laughs) That's probably what we would say to our kids, right? But the father actually says, okay, I will give you the money now. I would be like, do you want my debt, kids? Like, you can have my debt. So that's the setup to this story. The rest of the times, we're going to talk about three things that we can kind of pull out of this story. And so this is the first one. The first one is the farther farther you wander, the further away you'll be. And so how many of you guys have ever been like just lost before? You know, lost hiking, lost driving in an unfamiliar place. Uh, My family, I took my family last Father's Day up to the Uinta Mountains. Um, my son and I were driving my car. My wife and my daughter were driving the car behind us. They were going to leave early. My son and I were going to stay later, so we took two cars. We ended up pulling into Provo Falls off Highway 150, Merrill Lake Highway up there, which is beautiful. And uh, we ran around the falls, took some pictures. We both got back in our cars. My son and I pulled out and didn't see my wife and daughter. Like, oh, they must have been going to the bathroom. I told them where the campsite was. I told them what can number we are. It's one road, they'll figure it out. So we turn left and go up the mountain. Well, my daughter and my wife pull out and they look at each other and they're like, which way are we supposed to turn? And they're like, oh, let's turn right. I shouldn't have put them together in the same car. And so they turn right and go all the way back down the mountain, which is the way that we had came. And they ended up all the way back into town and didn't even realize it until they saw the gas station where he had stopped for gas on the way up. They made a series of bad decisions. First, being with each other. Second, turning right. Third, not stopping and asking for directions. And so, major, major boo-boo, right? Um, But think about this. How easy is it it for you to make a bad decision after you've already made a bad decision? Like, decisions just kind of pile up on each other themselves sometimes. And so, if you know me, you know I am not a handyman. um, But I'm also cheap. So, if something breaks in our house, I'm like, I'll fix it. My son, one day, decided not to open the garage and just back his car out right into the garage. About a month later, my daughter decided, was outside the garage and decided to run into the front of my garage. And so I'm out there with a hammer, I can fix it, you know, and I'm hammering it out and doing all this stuff with just a hammer, you know. And it got to the point where it would go up, but you kind of had to, like, help it, you know, a little bit. And the garage, you know, motor was working really hard and made all these crazy noises until finally it started just smoking and just quit. So I get on a ladder. I take that thing down. I take it apart. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I can't even put it back together. And so finally... I listen to my wife, I call somebody, they come and fix it, right? And I paid for it. But I made a lot of series of bad decisions in the meantime. And so I feel like, you know, our pride gets in the way a little bit. Um, But this prodigal son makes a lot of very, very bad decisions all consecutively in a row, unfortunately. And he not only loses everything he has, he kind of loses himself. And so this is what it says. It says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land, and there he wasted his all of his money in wild living. And so, bad decision number one, he takes his money. Bad decision number two, he just gets out of there. He leaves and goes to a totally unfamiliar place. Bad decision number three, he wastes all his money on wild living. He probably made a lot of really good friends really quick when they realized that he was the one that had all the money. You know, he's buying everybody drinks, he's paying for all the parties, you know, they're taking all the selfies and all the TikToks and doing all that stuff. And, you know, they're having a great time together until he runs out of money and he probably ended up losing all of his new friends. So research shows that a third of Americans that get a large inheritance will just blow it. They'll just immediately blow it. And then if you won the lottery, 70% of people that win the lottery blow it within the first five years. And so I feel like if you're irresponsible with a little bit of money, you're probably going to be irresponsible with a lot of money. If my wife won the lottery, just all that would mean is we would have a lot more Amazon boxes on our front door every day, you know? And then I would get angry, and then it would be a bad thing. So my wife tells me I'm really cheap, but I'm not buying it. Some of you got that joke. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, (laughs) All right. So this is what ends up happening. Oh, there we go. Um, About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so angry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. So... Not only did he blow all of his money, but then a famine hit. I mean, like this poor guy, like it went from bad to worse. And so all these bad decisions and things that he wasn't even in control of started piling up on him. And so he can't, he doesn't have any money to eat. And so he goes and finds the worst possible job. He works for this farmer. The farmer (laughs) sends him out to feed the pigs, which would be a horrible job, right? You know, you start to smell and get all gross. But it's even worse for this guy who's a Jewish man. And so Jews... Really, they believe that pigs are an unclean animal. They don't eat pork, things like that. And so this poor Jewish guy is not only working in a really gross job, but he's working with these animals that are completely detestable to him. And so it would basically be like asking a vegan or a vegetarian to work at McDonald's. Except that's not real beef, so I guess it doesn't matter. But like, you know, this is how bad it got. And all the religious leaders, if you can picture the religious leaders and scribes that are listening to this story to Jesus, they're probably, when Jesus gets to this part, they're probably like, perfect. This is a great story. That's exactly what this kid deserves. He dishonored his father. He spent all of his money on sinful wild living. You know, he's working with pigs. He got what he deserved. This is exactly how this story would end. But Jesus doesn't end the story there. Jesus keeps going because, remember, a parable is talking about earthly things but giving them heavenly meanings, And so Jesus is talking more. He goes on to the story. There's another twist in the story. And so Jesus doesn't end with this death and destruction. He doesn't end at verse 16. He goes on because the good news is our next point here. The good news is that it's not too late to turn back if you're willing to repent. That's the good news. So once my wife and my daughter went all the way down the mountain, they saw the gas station, they realized they went the wrong way, they immediately realized they were not where they wanted to be. They wanted to be at camp with us, you know, around a campfire, eating s'mores. That's where they wanted to be. So they made the obvious decision to turn around and drive the other way and get to the place where they wanted to be. And that's exactly what the meaning of repentance is. And this is kind of where this prodigal, this lost son, is getting to. And so I feel like being lost in your sin is a lot like being lost in life. It's very, very similar. Because we still have a chance to turn around and find our way back. If you feel far away from God, it's like never too late to turn around. Like it's never too late to go back. If you're willing to make that decision and turn around, And the son hits rock bottom at this point, right? Totally hits rock bottom. And it says, when he finally came to his senses, he says to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. And so this is very, very humbling for this guy. He's like, what am I doing here? I'm starving to death. This would never happen at home. I need to go back home or I have a father that loves me. So in the midst of like, you know, feeding pigs and starving, he came to his senses, or a better way to translate this is he he got a better mind. And so he realized what he left behind. He knows what he's done. He knows he's taken advantage of his father. He knows how reckless he's been with his money and his life decisions. And so he says to himself, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against my father. I'm no worthy long to be, I'm no worthy able to be called his son anymore. And so he really humbles himself at this point, which is wonderful. But that's a hard thing to do. We have a lot of pride in us. And we don't want to admit when we're wrong. We don't want to admit it. Sometimes I think some of us would rather starve than admit that we're wrong. But he didn't. He got to a different point in his life. Do any of you have any of those kids that like you say, "Hey, it's going to be cold. Put a jacket on." I don't need a jacket right? And you go out, wherever you're going, you get there, and they're freezing. They're like this. And you're like, I told you to put a jacket on. No, I'm not even cold, you know? Maybe you have a jacket or a blanket for them. Like, I don't need it. I'm fine, you know? But that stubborn, stubborn, stubborn thing, you know, where you just don't ever want to admit that you're wrong. Maybe your spouse is like that. I don't know. Don't ask them. I don't want to get you in trouble. So, things like that. So, sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we come to our senses, I feel like. And that's exactly what's happening here. Instead of the son being as rebellious as he was when he took his father's money, and when he spent all of his father's money, he had a change of heart. He totally had a change of heart. So this is a really powerful story for many reasons, but a couple things are really neat if you think about this. The son took full responsibility for his actions. He took full responsibility for what he had done, which is amazing. And Because of how bad he knew he messed up, he was willing to humble himself and basically say, you know what, I'm not even worthy to be a son anymore. I'm going to go back as a servant. I'm going to give up my name. I'm going to give up all those comforts and privileges that I used to have. So you can see his whole turnaround here from where he was at the beginning of the story to where he is now. And so this is a perfect picture of repentance, and I know that that's a big churchy word, but basically what repentance is, is you're walking in one direction, but then you come to your senses, and you turn around, and you walk back the way you came. You go the exact opposite way, and that is exactly what repentance is. And so, I'll give you a couple uh, definitions here. This is from the Oxford Dictionary. Repentance is sincere regret and remorse, and then even the Greek lexicon, is basically just a change of mind. And so, when we look at this story, it gives us this perfect picture of repentance because he realized how bad his situation was, he understood that he was the one responsible for it, and he thought of his father's goodness and realized that he might still have a chance. There might still be a chance that his father would take him back, even if it's just as a servant. And so, that repentance, that humbleness, all mixed into one. So, instead of running away, he changed his course, he went back home. And that's a perfect idea. That's a good example for us. Repentance should be part of the Christian life for us. It really should be saying, you know what, God, just like the prodigal son, I have sinned against you. I've wasted my life. I've wasted your blessings the things that you've given me. But I'm choosing to trust you now and to come back to you. It's exactly what we should be doing as well in our life. So you might be listening to this and being like, well, I've never done anything that bad. I've never done anything like that, prodigal son, you know. I've never dishonored my parents like that, which is probably true, but we all have a lot in common. Sin is sin. You know what? We've all sinned in our own way. Sin is going our way. It's going against God's way, but repentance is turning back to God and going His way. So we've all had different degrees of sin, and it really doesn't matter what kind of degree of sin you have or not, because God sees it as the same and loves us just the same. But it has never turned too late to turn back to God, and the prodigal son remembered that his father has patience. He remembered that his father was kind. I mean, he gave him the money in the first place, that he didn't even have to do And so we have to remember that God is like that for us. This is a great verse that says, Don't you see how wonderful, kind, tolerant, patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see this kind of kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And so if we remember... The incredible kindness, the tolerance, the the patience that God has with us. If we remember all those things, we're going to look at ourselves and we're going to be like, why am I living like this when I can go back to God who is like this? And so if God is perfectly kind and tolerant and patient with us in our sin, we can see how we can dishonor him, but we also can see how he's just waiting patiently for us to come back. And so trusting Jesus simply means that we repent, we ask God to forgive us, and we turn back to him. And maybe some of you actually feel the other way. Maybe you still feel like you're too far. You've wandered too far away. You're so far away you don't even know how to get back. Or maybe you feel like the things that you've done in your life are worse. They're worse than this. They're so bad that you don't think God could ever forgive you. Well, I'm here to say that that's not true. That God can forgive you no matter what. And this is our last point. We can never, you can never out God's forgiveness. Like there's nothing that's so bad that you can do that God's not gonna love you anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. The level of your sin actually pales in comparison to the level of God's forgiveness. Like it's not even close. Like God's forgiveness is so much bigger than our sin. We may think our sin is so much bigger Than God's forgiveness. But it's not. It's the opposite. God's love and patience for you is so much bigger than anything that you've ever done. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. And so, let's see what this last thing says. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So, Jesus literally shocks the audience here. He, like, he just like, you know, skips right through verse 16 where it's like, shame on this son. He got what he deserved. This is exactly what should have happened to him for all the choices he made. Jesus keeps going and he ends with this. And he says, look, the father forgave the son. He accepted him. He ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him. He still loved him. He didn't just leave him in his shame and his misery. And so we're going to talk more about the father's response next week, but the second half of this verse is amazing because the lost son followed through with what he said he was going to do. It's a long way back. You know, maybe it took him weeks to get back to his father, and he could have changed his mind, but he did it. He was very consistent with his humbleness, with his repentance. He even said exactly to his father what he said to himself. He said, this is what I'm going to say to my dad. And when he got there, he said the same thing. I am no longer worthy to become your son. And so a true sign of repentance is consistency. He didn't change his mind. You can see that his repentance was very sincere. It was very genuine. And so this is really good news for us to see here because as far as we know, God is going to take anybody and everybody back. And that is actually a fact. Because you can never out sin God's forgiveness. But if you look in verse 20, the beginning of that verse, it says that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. And this kind of gives us a little glimpse into the father's love. It was almost like the father was looking, he was waiting, he was hoping his son would come back. It was like his father was emotionally anticipating his return. And there was nothing that, that his son, he, just, he didn't even care what his son had done. He didn't even know what his son had done, but he didn't even care because there was nothing that was going to keep him from hoping that his son would come back. And so even though the son was so far away, the father was patiently waiting for him every day, hoping he'd see him come down the road. And so this shows us how beautiful the love of God is. He's always there for us, even when we don't feel like he's there You know, and it says that basically that as soon as he saw his son, he didn't wait for his son to get to him. It was almost like he pulled up his robe and he started running. You know, he started running to his son. And he said he threw his arms around him and he kissed him and he did all these things to say, I am so glad that you're back. He didn't even wait. He didn't even ask him what he had done. He just said, I'm just glad you're home. I'm glad you're safe. So we can only pursue God because God pursues us. And that's where it starts. It starts with God pursuing us. He loves us. He cares about us even when we're far away from him. And if you notice, this son or this dad did not do the whole like, oh, there's my, there's my evil son. Here he comes. I can't wait to give him a piece of my mind. I can't date to tell him, I told you so. You smelled like pig, you know, like all those different things. He didn't do any of that. He didn't have a big I told you so in his pocket waiting for his son. He didn't even hold anything against him. He just said, I'm glad you're home. I'm glad you're safe. How many of you dads or even moms would just love to have been like, I told you so, you know? I'm so disappointed in you or whatever. Or your pride would want to make you feel like you had to put your kids down for whatever they did. But that's not what God did. Instead, he said, I'm so glad, I'm so welcome, I'm so happy that you're home. I, I, I kind of have this thing. I grew up in downtown L.A., and so I'm always telling my kids to lock their doors, lock the car doors. I know nobody locks anything in Utah, but, you know, I'm from California. And so, you know, lock your doors. My, my daughter had this iPad that she always played on when she was younger, and she left it on the car seat um, in West Valley where they, my, my daughter and my wife went to go see a play. They came out. Someone had saw it, and they'd broken the window and took it. And I always told my daughter, don't leave things on the seat. Anything that's valuable, put it under the seat. We don't want them to break a window to get it in. Well, that's exactly what happened. And so my wife calls me on the way home, tells me, you know, what had happened. I could hear my daughter crying in the car. They get home. My daughter feels so bad about everything that just happened. And she felt like it was all of her fault. And I could have just, boom, I told you so, you know. But I saw how sad my daughter was. And I felt for her because I love my daughter. So I threw my arms around her, I said, I'm so sorry that happened to you, I'm glad you're home, glad you're safe, it's not a big deal. And so I did a few things right as a father, (laughs) and that was one of them, because we just got to love our kids, because we see how much our father loves us, and I think that's a beautiful thing. So the good news is that God is never going to do that, I told you so, he's never going to be disappointed, he's just going to welcome you back with open arms. So no matter how far you feel from God, no matter how much sin you think has piled up in your life, God is here. He's pursuing you. He's inviting you to have a relationship with him. And if you feel far away, I hope that today you would just turn around and start coming back. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you are a God of second, third, a million chances. God, I thank you so much that you have forgiven us so much for everything that we've done. God, I thank you that you've even given us a way to come back to you, God. I thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. I thank you that you have put our sins on the cross. God, I thank you that we can be in your holy presence. I thank you that you have a home in heaven waiting for us, God. And Lord, I thank you for all the blessings you've given us even now as we live this life, God, that we can even know you. And I pray that, God, you would just meet all of us where we need to be met today, that you would throw your arms around us, that we would physically even feel your presence in our lives. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your patience with us. In Jesus' name, amen.